Hello there, woman beings, and welcome to another episode of Woman Being Podcast. I'm here today with the inimitable Kelly and the insurpassable Kelly Ann. I am Emma, and I will be your host for this episode. <laughs> and today we are going to talk about LuLaRoe, aka a very popular buttery soft legging brand <laughs> that is also an MLM that is also also the subject of Amazon's latest docu-series Lula Rich. If you haven't heard of it, what the heck have you been doing? Are you living under a rock? I don't know. Um, this is the new Tiger King people. This is what <laughs> we are watching in our hot girl quarantine right now. So let's dive right in. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Why are we talking about LuLaRoe? Well, I'll tell you why, ladies. It's because one of our lovely, lovely followers suggested that we watch this docuseries, and that's something that you guys, the woman beings, can actually get in on as well. If you're sleeping on our social media, then... Why? That is sleep not worth having. <laughs> because you should be following us on Instagram. Uh, because that's where we ask for ideas for episodes and input, and that's where we get to talk to you and be uh, in conversation with you. So, um, yeah, we're very thankful that someone turned us on to Lula Rich, um, and we are stoked to talk about this because this is something that definitely affects women a lot. And um, it's pretty much 100% like targeted at women, I would mm, say. Yeah, <laughs> this one specifically. So to, to just give a brief overview of what this docuseries is, it's a four-part docuseries. It's on Amazon. Um, it's about the brand LuLaRoe, uh, which is a MLM or multi-level marketing company. Mm -hmm. um, and they, which is essentially a pyramid scheme, but there's a difference Spoilers. between a pyramid scheme and an, and an MLM, I will say. MLMs are legal. Pyramid schemes are not. MLMs focus on providing a good, and pyramid schemes focus on signing up new people, essentially. Yeah. Those, are, those are the differences. But uh, this company, they sell leggings. They also sell skirts and other articles of clothing with very bold, bold patterns on them. If you've seen them, if you know of them, then you would recognize them instantly. They're very recognizable. Um, and this docuseries is sort of exposing them. Um, it covers a lot mm -hmm. of different things, um, but it talks about sort of how they got started as a company. It interviews the founders, which is a husband and wife, a Mormon couple uh, who live in California, and uh, talks about how they started um, and then talks about how different women got involved in the very beginning, um, talks about the wild amounts of success and growth that they had initially, um, and then dives into topics like lawsuits that they've had, pr um, product uh, quality control issues that they've had, uh, talks about uh, ways that they have had contradictory messaging around women and empowerment, 
um, ways that they have, like, touted sort of quote-unquote family values messaging um, and all sorts of things <laughs> and, like, gaslit <laughs> all of their employees in so many ways. It also, like, briefly touches on the fact that, like, two of the founders' children are married to one another, <laughs> but they were, like, adopted, so it's fine. <laughs> but it's also weird and feels icky. Um, or I mean, Woody Allen married his daughter, and, but she was adopted, so that's technically fine, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah very meh. But... Uh, yeah, it touches on that. It uh, touches on, gosh, so much. Um, but that's sort of the broad. <laughs> Is there anything that I'm missing here, ladies? Yeah, that's, you pretty much covered it. Yeah. yeah. It. Like, okay, episode over. The end. That is. Bye. <laughs> Lula Rich, thank you. Thanks for watching Rich, this episode of the Woman Being Podcast. No. Okay. So that's sort of the the broad... <laughs> Dip your toes in. These are some of the things it touches on. It is pretty varied across the board. Um, And I feel like sort of leaves you um, with not... I I mean, you can tell there is a bias in this docuseries from the people that created it. But I think that there was a good amount of fairness in sort of just presenting things. Mm. Um, They do show footage of, like, the founders and some of the higher-ups that are also their children in a deposition for a lawsuit that they had with the state of Washington, um, but also shows their actual interview that they did with them and shows them in a positive light sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And also interviews at least one woman who's still involved in the company and is still a retailer for them, but then also interviews people who have chosen to leave Mm -hmm. and have been... Or have been forcibly... Forcibly removed. Asked. Yeah. Well, not mm-hmm. forcibly, but, like... Let go. Terminated. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, what were you guys' impressions of LuLaRoe as a company, like, before this? And then I guess, like, what are your impressions now after watching the docuseries? Yeah. Uh, I mean, my impression of LuLaRoe has kind of grown over the past several years. I remember, like, in college... Sitting by a friend and being like, oh, my gosh, your leggings are so soft. Where'd you get those? And she As you like, casually touched your friend's legs. I think it was like, she's like, please touch my please legs. Touch They're so this. soft, you know. And we're like, yeah. wow, look at those leggings. They're so nice, you know. And um, so to me, uh, my first understanding of it was this, like, cool new brand that had popped up and had these cool leggings with cool prints. And mm-hmm. hers were not um, weird printed. I remember they were just, like, kind of plain colored but anyways so that's sort of like oh a cool leggings brand and then I think probably in the last couple years or whatever I realized that they had like or I had been under the impression that they had gone under there was something that seriously went wrong I noticed a lot of their clothes in the thrift stores and just was I don't know where I heard this but just was of the understanding that they were no longer Mm. A good brand. And I actually thought they were, like, not even still in operation, but they are. So (laughs) that's surprising to me after watching Lula Rich. Yeah. Because in the documentary, you sort of discover a very fascinating look into humans and psychology and manipulation and cult-like tendencies that this sort of business can carry. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think to me it it seems like it started out as something with good intentions and good ideas and 
money and fame and I don't know, humanness, like got real weird. Yeah, I don't know that I was super familiar with Lularo. Um, <laughs> it's a hard name to it say. It is really hard. <laughs> it's like you're trying to be French, but you're not. I was not super familiar. I feel like I've probably seen their leggings from, like, back home. Like, this is definitely the kind of thing that, you know, ladies from Oklahoma would definitely get into. Um but yeah, I actually had no real awareness of the brand or company um, other than I'm a big thrifter. I love to thrift. Finding, I recognized the label as soon as the documentary started. I was like, oh yeah, I've seen a lot of their dresses, some of their skirts. Like, it's just, but overall, like, it's not the kind of garment item I would be drawn to at all. Um, and so, yeah. It was an interesting, enlightening experience to watch um, this documentary. I mean, I, I'm in a retail manufacturing product development role. Um, so this is essentially my job. This is my field that I'm in. Um, and so it's interesting to see how they choose to go about business. It's clearly a very homegrown, don't really know what they're doing way of doing business. Um and, yeah, it's interesting because they're, like, empowering women but kind of not empowering women and, like, going after women but also, like, further along going after the whole, like, spousal dynamic. I don't know. It was just, like, a lot at once. Well, it got weird, too, when, like, body image and, like, body weight sort mm-hmm. of controlling type things come into play. This is one thing we missed, I think, in the synopsis is that there's a point at which the – um, founder of the company or president, I guess you could say her name is Deanne. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, gets like a gastric bypass surgery or mm-hmm. some, yeah. some sort a of sleeve. some yeah um, some sort of like stomach tightening surgery, mm-hmm. and it helps her to lose a bunch of weight. And she goes, she has this doctor down in Tijuana and starts like encouraging all of her like higher-ups to also get the same surgery Mm -hmm. and send them down to Mexico for it. And Mm -hmm. um, that there's, like, a lot of pressure to be thin and beautiful and, like, like to... image in general. Yeah, like, to maintain a certain image so that... Have your hair done, have your nails done. Right. Look professional. Right. Drive a nice car. If people are going to be recruited into the company, they need to look at you and see the success that you've attained Mm -hmm. and want to join. Yeah. Um, To the point that some... One woman was saying that she was living paycheck to paycheck despite making, making six like, figures, like 10 to 30 to 50 thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. Which is super crazy. I don't know. Part of me, though, has a lot of empathy for the founder, shockingly, um, because I see all the damage that they've done um, to their employees. Frankly, it's a super unsustainable business model for one their employees but two like the planet like the way they're pumping out poor quality clothing all day every day uh but part of me really felt empathy for this uh president of this company oddly what what did you feel empathetic about um the you get a little bit of backstory she clearly has had a lot of patriarchal messaging instilled in her from her mother her mother wrote a book about being the ideal wife like um submissive beautiful uh all this stuff um 
And what I took away from this um, is that she was super driven and business-minded and a go-getter. And she wanted to make money for her family. She wanted to be successful for her family um, and for herself. But she didn't necessarily know how to do that without being this submissive, supporting patriarchy figure. Um, And so she's essentially – what I took away from it was that she essentially is trying to live out her own expectations while imposing those expectations on others – And as those other women rise up, become financially successful, beautiful, thin, whatever, in her eyes, um, it's a a confirmation that she can do it too. That's what I took away. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, obviously, there's a lot of lack of recognition of what is happening. Um, It's clear to me that she's not, like, fully accepting of the reality that she's created Mm -hmm. and that the role that her husband has played in that as well. It's kind of interesting seeing them interviewed. Every time he talks, she looks really uncomfortable and like she gets fidgety and like she's not, she looks funny for some reason anytime he talks. And in her deposition, like you see little moments from that. She seems like not in her mind, Mm -hmm. you know, like she doesn't seem like, an intelligent, like, emotionally stable or mm-hmm. mentally stable person to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she just seems, like, kind of in shock and unsure how to respond and says, I don't know a lot. And I don't know. Maybe she's just terrible at lying and that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, to me it does seem like there's a little bit of, like, are you a victim in this too? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's hard. I mean, in in some sense, there's no way that we can know, right? But also, uh, this makes me think of the conversation that we have in our episode reviewing the book Pure, which comes out in a couple weeks. So here, this is a little taste for you guys <laughs> um, about like people's intent. Um, and I sure can see like she is obviously was raised in a very religious environment, in a very like an environment that touted women being submissive, um, but also growing up in the capitalist, like, success-driven United States, at the same time wants to pursue, like, financial and, like, corporate success Mm -hmm. uh, and sees sort of, like, you creating this business with her husband as a way to bypass that sort of submissive wife uh, message that she's been given um, and and to still work within those bounds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also at the same time, it, at this point, they've had 20 plus lawsuits filed against them. Yeah. Um, and they, there's so many things that they said that like she and her husband would say in conferences for LuLaRoe or even in the interview they did with them. Uh, that directly contradict things they say in their deposition Mm -hmm. uh, because, and to me, that communicates someone that knows they were doing something wrong. Sure. And Mm -hmm. they're doing what their lawyer has told them to say in the deposition, which is no comment or I don't know or whatever, in order to cover their butts because they've been breaking the law, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's like you've been given so many opportunities to recognize that you were doing something that was wrong and harmful and you're still sticking to your guns. Mm -hmm. And... So to me, that takes away 
um, an opportunity for empathy for me. Mm. Uh, because sure, like maybe she's maybe she's totally brainwashed. Maybe she's totally like has no understanding of what she's doing or whatever. But like I just can't walk around like just giving her that excuse. You know? Right. Like we can't give every criminal the excuse of, oh, you didn't realize what you were doing. You mm-hmm. know, there has to be yeah. some level of, well, like you had I mean, she's essentially touting this female empowerment message mm-hmm. while also, like, kind of essentially ignoring the statistics of the number of people who are actually successful in the business. Yep. And anyone who's not successful, she's giving them messages of, well, honestly, like, if you really want this, you are going to work hard for it. Yeah. And, you obviously just don't want it enough. Right. And, like, whining and complaining, like, aren't our business model. And let's get rid of the negativity. And yeah. it's like – I. If, for people who see negativity as, like, only negativity, I feel like that gets really dangerous. Yeah. Because negativity is actually, like, a part of what makes us human. It's a part of what makes us better, mm-hmm. you know? And to just deny it instead of acknowledging it and, like, trying to fix problems. Like, it's not like she never got to hear um, complaints, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. it's not like no one told her yeah. that things weren't well and good in the company Mm -hmm. so yeah no i agree but yeah yeah you you look at her and you're like something's off something's very off with her yeah for sure but i mean i think to i mean i think her husband as well seems very calculating to me Mm -hmm. um and he seems a bit more straightforward with that she seems a little bit more two-faced to me while he feels actually more upfront across the board mm-hmm. uh, in the way that he talks. Uh, he see, he's just more consistent and, like, yeah. more upfront and being an asshole. Either he's more successfully deluded himself into believing that he's done nothing wrong or he's much more um, sufficient, like, uh, efficient at manipulating others mm. to say something that sounds good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but I, one thing I will say, you mentioned, so, like, I feel like there's so many different paths with this. <laughs> so, in talking about them doing things that are, like, criminally wrong, like, the reason they're in a deposition and that kind of thing, like, that's the pyramid scheme stuff. That is the the fact that their company that should be a multi-level marketing company has actually turned into something that incentivizes and rewards people for signing other people up to the company, um, and that is illegal. That mm-hmm. is an illegal business plan. <laughs> uh, but uh, some of the other things that they do that we're also, like, hinting at are the, like, female empowerment uh, message that is actually, like, contradictory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Or things like having product uh, issues, giving a, a bad product. And, mm-hmm. and essentially taking people's money from them and not allowing people to return that product and things like that. Uh, but one thing that I will say that you mentioned, Kelly, is that, like, knowing that uh, – or her willfully ignoring the fact that, like, people are not able to be as financially successful in this business model as you're claiming that they can be. One of the statistics that really sort of, like, blew my mind when I saw it in the docuseries is that – um, I think it's the the point zero one percent of people in the company make like one point five million dollars a year, 
uh, in in being part of this MLM, uh, and then seventy percent made zero, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a very hefty statistic, and to me feels um, in line with other MLMs that mm-hmm. I have heard about or know of. In my mind, joining an MLM, uh, especially one that has been around for a long time, there's not really much opportunity to actually make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you are at the bottom of the pyramid <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or at the bottom of the pipeline, whatever you want to call it, uh, because an MLM wouldn't like for you to call it a pyramid because then you're calling it a pyramid scheme. <laughs> but essentially, if you don't have people under you yeah. and then people under them, you you're not making money. money. Yeah, exactly. So in talking about MLMs as well, just in general – um, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about you guys' thoughts on those um, as a a business model and, like, maybe what your impression of MLMs is. Yeah, I think I did not fully understand what an MLM was until – how old am I? Maybe five years ago. So very – rather recently in my life, I was actually um, – someone tried to recruit me for an MLM, a makeup division of a very large MLM. And I actually went over to te- to this person's house to test out product because if it's good product, I'll sell it. Essentially was my mindset, but I was very young. Keep in mind, I was like 19 years old. I was so young. And actually looking back on me on this, I'm like, oh, wow, these people were like mid-30s. Like they should not be like mm. – approaching a 19-year-old girl who's starry-eyed and, like, doesn't know what she's doing in life. Um, But the makeup was shit. And I was like, yeah, this is not great. And they were actually very upset that I would say that it was not good quality. Oh, you told them. Yeah, I was like, this foundation is terrible. It does – I love makeup. I really, really do. I have from a very young age, even though I don't wear a ton of it. Um – and so quality is important to me. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'd basically just be lying and trying to make people buy stuff that I wouldn't even wear myself. And so uh, I stood by that and was like, yeah, no thanks. Um, and then I slowly, as I, you know, emerged into the retail business world, um, started to really understand what is insidious about an MLM And it is that you do have to pay money up front and they sell you this idea that you own your own business, but really you're reliant on a wholesaler, um, quote unquote wholesaler. And it's really not your business. You are doing business on behalf of someone else and they're lying to you, telling you that you have, that it is your company, that it's your business and you will get out of it as much work as you put into it, which is simply not true. Um, if you want to be a business owner, you need to figure out what business you want it to be and what goods you want to sell and not, um, or what service you want to provide and not, um, solely doing something on behalf of someone else, which is totally fine if you want to do it, but definitely not in a pyramid scheme fashion. Yeah, no, that was, I'll add on to what you said and then go back to your question, Emma. But what was interesting is that at least in the first episode or the first two episodes, LuLaRoe looks really enticing. And mm-hmm. you understand why, like, women are, like, on waiting lists to get 
mm-hmm. onto this business role so that they can become a retailer for LuLaRoe. Because it's like you buy the product at wholesale price, you sell it at retail price, you keep all of the product, all, all of the profits. Profit. Mm-hmm. And um, it when there's, you know, and there was a huge kind of like trend or mm-hmm. like surge of people wanting to buy LuLaRoe products at the time. And so yeah. I feel like I couldn't go on Facebook without seeing mm-hmm. LuLaRoe. Like there yeah. were so many Facebook pages for LuLaRoe. People would invite mm-hmm. me to the pages. But it sounds enticing because it seems like, oh, I just buy a bunch of product, set up a little store in my home, do some pop-ups around the neighborhood, and I can like take care of my family and make a bunch of money on the side. Mm-hmm. And then when you add in like, oh, and then the more people I recruit, the more money I make, like mm-hmm. it seemed really enticing. And for the people at the beginning, it was because they mm-hmm. did make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you kind of see the progression of the company and how once you saturate that market and you have like they, they get up to like 60 or 80,000 retailers, like different people actually selling the products. Those people at the bottom have no chance of, A, recruiting more people because there's already, like, way too many people in yeah, a certain area selling Yeah, only so many people are going to buy ugly printed leggings. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, they're only going to be trendy for so long. And, mm-hmm. um, like, you can't – if there's, like, six retailers in your town, like, nobody's going to be making money. So, mm-hmm. anyways, I just want to clarify, like, it does feel enticing. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's why a lot of MLMs are successful is because they they sell you on this idea that like, hey, you buy your own inventory. Yeah. You you manage your own schedule. You sell your product as you want to. And mm-hmm. that feels like a good deal. It mm-hmm. feels like, oh, I could do that. And for something that's flying off the shelf anyways, why wouldn't I? Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, I'll circle back to answer your question. I personally have actually come to the conclusion that I don't ethically agree with MLMs. Mm. Um, I, I actually had someone reach out to me in the past year and wanted to, like, invite me to an online party for a, a makeup brand. And I said, hey, like, I want to support you in any way I can, but I actually don't. I don't do this kind of stuff. I just think it's ethically wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think it's a mistreatment of human beings, <laughs> like the whole business model. And um, and usually I'm not super impressed with the products either. Um, but, I, I mean, I have a long history. Like, my mom has done several different MLM-like businesses throughout my life. Like, there was a while where she sold Nikan magnets and she sold um, Jamberry fingernails and... She's done, like, all sorts of different things. And um, so, like, I I understand. And I've had several friends who have done it, too. So, like, I understand the appeal and I understand, like, it's fun. Like, oh, we're going to have a makeup party. We're all going to get together and buy makeup. So I get that. But I also, I think I've seen too many people, like, end up in a cycle of purchasing all this product and realizing it's Mm -hmm. not actually that good quality and then, like, kind of falling off the wagon. So I haven't seen lots of long-term... MLM people who stay in the business for a long time. So for that, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think it seems sustainable for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I feel like my impression of MLMs has always sort of been like that they are ultimately not lucrative just because I've never personally seen someone be very successful with them. Um, I, I, have known one person who was fairly successful with 
and essential oils, MLM, um, but also still had another job on top of that, you know? And so it's like, well, it's, it, I've seen it like, oh, this might be a nice way to make some side money if you can, but mm-hmm. it's not really like this is going to be your business um, or like this is going to change your life, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, or like, I, I feel like I've had not a ton of exposure MLMs, really only like a couple of makeup ones and essential oil ones, and that's it. Uh, and I think of like the Mary Kay pink cars, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's like the iconic thing of like mm-hmm. this person has made it as a Mary Kay <laughs> consultant. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, and in my mind, I, I thought about joining an MLM when I first came back to the United States from being a missionary for a year. I was like, I just need some money. Maybe I should do this. I know some people who do this. And then I just never did because that seemed like I didn't want to bother my friends with it (laughs) and, like, bother people to to buy this thing for me, you know? Um, But I think that – and I also feel like, in my mind, MLMs are going sort of out of style. I don't know if this is my own personal impression, but – uh, to me, I've never felt a huge need to purchase something from an MLM just as a consumer because I can find whatever I want anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's never like oh, I must buy this from this brand that's an MLM. And I've never been like loyal to a brand that is an MLM in that way. And so whereas I know some people are like, I only buy my makeup from Beauty Counter or whatever, or I only buy my essential oils from Young Living. Um, but I've never felt that compulsion to me. It's like, I can find something just as good online or in a store. Mm. Yeah. That's another thing for me is for like as a receiver and I've like, I I set up like an online store with my mom one time when she was selling something, I forget what it was, but I have never personally felt good about like asking my friends to like buy stuff that Mm. they don't need or want, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I, I'm not a salesperson, so I will just admit that from the beginning. Like, that's not my jam. I hate feeling like I'm persuading people um, to, like, do something they don't want to do. And I also hate feeling obligated to purchase something from somebody just because they need it to, like, feed their family. And, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, it feels like that. It feels like, oh, like, this is, you know, how I'm getting groceries for my family and like, will you please support my business and blah, blah, blah. And that to me, like, just feels like, I don't know, it feels slimy or dirty yeah. or I don't know. I'm like, I'd rather give you the money than purchase whatever crap product this is. Like, mm. I don't know. Maybe I have pretty strong feelings, but I've just always like, like somebody reaching out to you on Facebook that you haven't talked to in seven years and being like, Hey, I wondered if you'd be interested. It just like, like gives me anxiety. It's like not, it's mm-hmm. not a good thing. It doesn't feel like a good relational technique to, mm-hmm. like, make friends and maintain friendships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the problem, right? Like, it, in a typical retail setting, you your customer is walking in the door for a reason. Mm-hmm. It might be to browse. It might be to shop. But it is up to you as the salesperson to figure that out and to serve them genuinely. And I think that's the problem with commission-based sale selling is because now you are my paycheck goal versus, hey, I'm actually here to serve you and support you on your journey. 
um, whatever that looks like. So for most MLMs, you are reaching out to your family members, your community, people you do life with. The hard thing about that is those people aren't already into whatever it is that they might be into or interested in walking into a retail setting. So like I worked at Victoria's Secret for several years. I know every woman needs bras and panties. Uh Easy. You could be walking in to look and that's okay. But also like I'm here to help you on that, like on that process. Right. It's not the same with essential oils or with, you know, beauty counter or like not everyone is into that. So in a way you are already like causing friction because you don't have a space that people are willingly walking into. And I think that's what makes it weird. Yeah. Um, Well, and I will say, like, when it comes to my friends who have businesses, like, I like to shop at their businesses. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I like to order, go to their stores, order things from them, like, receive, you know, hair makeup services or, you know, waxing services from them, right? Like, I'm all about, like, supporting friends and their businesses. But to me, I just have such a hard time, like equating an MLM to something that can actually make them successful and Mm -hmm. something that like is a product I can believe in enough to either want to make the purchase or want to become a seller of. Right. And I don't know. And I think I feel really harshly when it's like, oh, this is how I'm buying my groceries. It's like, no, it's not. If you really need groceries, you need to go get a real job. Like, sorry. (laughs) Like, I know you want to be at home with your kids. There are things you can do. You can be an online assistant. You can... You know, yeah. clean houses on the weekends. There there are a lot of things. And I understand not everyone has the same amount of access or privilege. But I'm like, sorry, like this is not a guaranteed hourly pay. Right. It's like we're all kind of in the same boat. We're all trying so, to, like, you know, yeah. make money and support our families. And so I don't know. Yeah. And I feel horrible. Like I just – I really actually hate MLMs. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to actually like – I'm not being nice, but I just don't like them. I think they're horrible. And I say that – knowing people off the top of my mind who support their families with MLMs and enjoy doing MLMs and stuff. And I, I'm happy for them if they are happy, but like, to me, like the idea of manipulating and manipulating is maybe a strong word, but like, Mm. I don't know, like invading my friends on social media with like, Mm -hmm. with that just makes me cringe. Not a fan. Not a fan. But also, like, you do you. you but know? also, you do you. But Live also, your truth. Just don't bring it my direction. <laughs> well, you can bring it my direction. I'm just going to say respectfully no. Like, And ask how I can support you in other ways. If I want <laughs> to buy Young Living, I can go find a million people that sell it. But I'm so curious about Young Living because I'm – like, my understanding of Young Living is that you mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to have any sort of buy-in at the front to be able to order products from no. them. Is that correct? No. Um, technically, I am – young living quote-unquote person, um, I actually did it because of, like, some hormones class I was taking and you were required to have some certain essential oils. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do young living. And I signed up and you have, like, a minimum amount purchase amount. It's, like, $20, which is, like, two oils. Um, And so, yeah, I get a discounted, like, rate. But I'm not trying to sign people up. 
I'm not telling people that I have it. I mean, I am now. But I'm sorry. I'm not going to actually take. Everyone buy Young Living from Kellyanne. Please don't. If you like, message me and are like, I want to buy Young Living from you, I'm going to be like, don't. Like, go sign up for yourself. I'm not. I don't have time to take your damn orders. Like, what do you think I do all day? I'm busy. Um, sure. So, like. But, yeah, to me, Young but Living. But different does not feel like the same as other MLMs yeah. but I don't know I don't actually know like what the difference is or if yeah, it's me either yeah because uh, to me I if, just wanted oil. if I can go online and buy it for myself without having to be like become an actual like mm-hmm. seller of products I feel like that is acceptable to me yeah like I don't have to like coerce my friends into like buying it through me or vice versa yeah like I'm cool with that yeah uh to go back to what I was saying to I don't know if you guys have the same like feeling around it, but to me, it feels just sort of like an outdated system. Yeah, right? it's like very it, old. It feels like this is something that worked when women were having like gatherings because they were like house Tupperware moms parties. and having Tupperware parties or or silverware parties or whatever, and they Whoa. would buy. <laughs> things and have tea or whatever like that's like my impression is like women with like knee-length dresses who are yeah have an apron on and they're like selling this on the side um but in in my mind like especially people within like our generation and below it's not as much of a like popular thing outside of some for some reason essential oils, which I feel mm-hmm. like our generation is obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, we've like accepted essential oils. Like we're like, okay, that's fine, but nothing else. Yeah, yeah. no other MLMs. Uh, 100%. Are yeah, but I, I mean, I don't ever get messages from people like knocking on my door to sell essential oils. Like I feel like people who oh. want essential oils buy them, and people who don't don't. Yeah, I don't know. I've gotten messages about essential oils. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. All right, well, that's fair. I agree with you, though. It is very outdated. It's an old business model. It's a business model that was created, like, when women were stay-at-home moms, and that's what they did. And they they wanted something to do, and also, like, the price prices, cost of living in general was going up. And so it was like, one, I want to feel like I have some power. Two, I want something to do. Three, I'm going to help out my family while I'm doing it. Versus now, I mean, I really loved what the journalist that was interviewed for this doc said. And it was like, she said something along the lines of, we have the most educated generation of women yet. A lot of them are staying at home. A lot of them still want to feel like they are doing something to support their family, but they still want to be with their kids. And I think that is a really big struggle that a lot of women struggle with today. Um, I mean, I work with some moms that work part-time and they love working, but it also kills them to be away from their kids. Also, when you're paying a nanny, you're making like half of your salary, maybe, if you're lucky. And that it's just not like our generation has a different, unique struggle. Yeah, and it feels like, especially in this doc, like the... The business model definitely took advantage of that when mm-hmm. it comes to, hey, lady with a family and mm-hmm. a, you know, husband who's working all day, like, you can make extra money, too, you know, yeah. and they kind of touted these, like, rags to riches stories where 
women would be like, well, we were, strugg- we were struggling going from paycheck to paycheck. We were in debt. I didn't have any way to like pay for extra school supplies for my kids or whatever. Like I didn't know where our next paycheck was coming from. We were racking up credit cards, like whatever the story was mm-hmm. like to now, like I make $10,000 a month and my husband doesn't have to work anymore. And our family is taken care of and I can do it all in the comfort of my home and I, you know, yeah. control my own hours or whatever. But they don't like mention and they briefly discuss this is like those women who are making six figures a year or more are hustling so hard that they're actually not doing what they originally intended, no. which was mm-hmm. to like work part time so and make full time salary. They're actually yeah. working yeah. full time and more and their husbands are having to like help them help, help them, them out. And they're having to hire a nanny and yeah. a cook and yep. right. a maid. to like mm-hmm. be able to like sustain the lifestyle. And so it's mm-hmm. they kind of like prey on those needs that women have and then like essentially deceive them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Into into believing that if they hustle hard enough, they're going to reach the level of success yeah. that's going to allow them to, like, make the money and have the family, like, success that they yeah. want. Yeah. So then uh, going off of that, I'm curious to hear more about what you guys thought um, about their messaging towards women in the docuseries. Like, they are obviously targeting women. It's a women's clothing brand. They're saying to women, hey... Uh, you can do this, you can do this part-time, get full-time salary, you can have this as a way to work from home to help out your husband, Um, but then it sort of takes an insidious turn in the docuseries where uh, they start to realize, like, oh, they're touting this message of empowering women, but then uh, once your business gets to a certain size, they want you to hand it off to your husband. And they say, well, your husband should be involved in this and your husband actually needs to take over because you are serving him with this business. Yeah, it was like uh, the goal is to retire your husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not because you're retiring him by giving him this business A job. instead of whatever yeah, he was doing. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, honestly, a lot of the messaging that comes through was very reminiscent to me of the messaging that we receive in the church, which is that we are powerful, we are strong, we are amazing, we have all of these attributes that God has given us that, you know, we can do anything we want, but actually, like, when the rubber hits the road and success, like, is in the picture and, like, it's it's about actually achieving those aspirations, it's suddenly like, oh, well, your husband has to actually be there, yeah. which, first of all, completely denies anyone who's not married or not hetero and second of all like it's sort of like this false promise of empowerment and um i don't know like freedom freedom yeah and you know like yes self autonomy that Mm -hmm. sort of thing it's this false promise that actually truly means rising to success so that you can better serve your husband so that he can still be the head of the household kind of Mm -hmm. thing or Mm -hmm. your pastor or whatever like in the church it would be more like more like that and so to to me I guess I'm not surprised that it landed that way especially knowing the the leaders of the company the founders were like not Christians but religious Mm -hmm. um in their Mormon faith which can often has a lot of similar familial values to Christianity in a lot of spaces um yeah that's how it felt to me it felt 
I felt very much like the false narrative I've been fed my whole life that I can be whatever I want and do whatever I want and get the education I want. But when it actually comes to like my role in society and as a, a human being, it's actually not yeah. everything it was touted to be. Yeah. It, it makes me think of the messaging that you've talked about receiving when you were part of a missions organization, which was, well, when is your husband going to join? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was the idea that, well, surely he's going to come alongside you in this and 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 be in the, mi- the ministry. Because totally. like, you, like, you can't be successful unless yeah. you're doing it as a, as a, as a unit. A unit, you yeah. Know? Like, everyone knows that. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. well, does like, is that true? I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that is true. Yeah. But there's a lot of, like, social barriers that you kind of have to break down internally and externally in order to be able to function mm-hmm. as separate beings who are, like, united in marriage mm-hmm. <laughs> and not, like, one big orb, like, just merged into another one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> one body with two heads <laughs> yeah, or I'm just, like, literally just, like, denying myself and becoming whatever my husband wants me to be, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I mean, and that was a lesson I had to learn, again, internally and have also had to, like, push against externally. So there's multiple factors that play there. But, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super fair. I also felt like it was echoing messages uh, from the church. But also I it really bothered me the way it essentially and, – and this is, I also think bothers me from just church in general. Very conservative uh, messaging is like, well, please your husband so you can get your way. Yeah. Get down on yeah. your knees for five minutes, essentially saying, give your husband a blowy. You don't even need to, you know, open your legs. Make him happy. Subdue him so then you can go about doing what you want, spending the money you want, and living life the way you want. And I'm like, wow, that is so dysfunctional and so unhealthy. And if I am married to someone that I just want to keep happy so I can live my life, like, that is not a marriage that is serving me or that is serving the other person. Um, and I think it points – it it paints women in this light of like um, – Jezebel. Jezebel, the yeah. seductress, the Eve that ate the apple and then, you know, deceived Adam. It's just like, oh, my God, if anyone talks anymore about women being deceitful um, – I am going to do something extreme. I don't know what yet, but I'm going to do it. And yeah, so I think that really, that is upsetting to me that that messaging is prevalent in society in general. Um, But specifically here, it's like to be a powerful businesswoman, to be a boss babe, to, you know, work part-time hours for a full-time salary or whatever, um, just keep your husband happy and then you can do what you want. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. Ew. Flash those titties and get down on your knees and he's going to let you do whatever you want. It was yeah. like, to uh, clarify, this is something that one of the former retailers for LuLaRoe said that the founder said at a conference mm-hmm. right. was to literally spend five minutes on your knees and he'll let you spend whatever money you want. Right. And the the woman who, who talks about this, she's like, that seemed pretty unprofessional to me to say at right. a, a work conference. Right. <laughs> And so there's that, but then there's also the woman that was really struggling in her marriage and she opened up to her about it and she was like, well, you just need a new husband. I'm like the founder said. The founder. And I'm just like, wow, like there's no empathy and no like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I feel like I think that was 
overall what bothered me. There was no human feelings associated to being a woman. It was Mm -hmm. just package it up, present it well, do what you need to do, and then be along your way. There was no humanness to being a boss babe, to being a woman, Mm -hmm. to being a mom, to being a working mom. Like those are a lot of things to balance at once. And it was just like, Nope, shove it down and keep on moving. Well, I'll add to that, that any sort of, like, marital issues that were had or were discussed were always used, like, as a form of manipulation or, like, it was Mm -hmm. not a safe space to, like, have problems. Right. And it seemed like the the founders were over-involved in their, like, core group's lives in terms of, like, what their marriages ought to look like or be. Mm-hmm. And I have personally experienced that, and that is, like, not a healthy work environment mm-hmm. or church environment or anything. It's, like, your your marriage somehow being a reflection of your, you know, efficiency in your job or whatever is bogus. Yeah. yeah. And touching on the, the the whole idea of, like, physically pleasing your husband – in order to to get what you want or to like make your business work is i mean first of all you're you're commodifying intimacy mm-hmm. and that's something that the church has done uh and that this company is also touting is this idea that like you just need to please them. They even have, like, the three A's, which are, like... Acceptance. Ex- uh, affirmation. Admi- and admire admiration. Was one of them. Admiration. Accept, if- admire. Anyways, it was, like, the three A's that women should do for their husbands to, like, make them feel good <laughs> so that so that they can, like, be successful in their business. And, like, sure, you, you should, you know, admire, accept, affirm your husband, whatever... But, like, are they doing that for you, too? Mm-hmm. And also, what like the f- also, why is your business telling you how you should treat your marriage well, at that, all? That actually reminds me of the misogynist pastor episode from season one. You can check it out. That we discussed where he kind of, I don't remember exactly what he says, but he implies, like, you got to keep him happy. Like, that is your job. Like, his sexual needs are your command or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, Okay, cool. Yeah, and it, and in, in touching on, too, what you said, Kellyanne, about humanness, uh, this idea that, like, oh, you please him, and then you can go and do your business, uh, it uh, takes away the humanness of women in, in recognizing that they also have sexual needs and intimacy needs. It's saying, oh, no, you are not woman. You are a robot for LuLaRoe, <laughs> who... <laughs> Just does just needs to make more money and sell more leggings, you know. Like that's the idea, and it's like, well, th- that's your need. Satisfy your husband's needs, and then you can carry on mm-hmm. being this robot, being a Barbie doll. Yeah, Barbie doll robot. And uh, another thing with that that feels very insidious to me about uh, their messaging around uh, couples in being involved in the company is that then they become wholly dependent upon LuLaRoe. Mm-hmm. Like, all of their income, all of their livelihood is centered on this company. And, like, that is very dangerous, but that is, I mean, in some ways, a very strategic thing for LuLaRoe to do because then people are locked in. Mm-hmm. People feel less like they can leave. And then you get their money more. Mm-hmm. You get their money for longer. They're mm-hmm. committed and invested because they will literally be on the street without you the more yeah the more products they sell the more people they recruit more so the more people they recruit the more money is made and yeah yeah, it's just Mm -hmm. yeah 
And so that was one of the big things that they had around women was like, these women weren't actually empowered. <laughs> um, they were empowered to make money, enough money to empower their husbands, essentially. Yeah, well, and, and, and to me it felt like they were preying on, like, female vulnerabilities for the purpose of, like, pulling them into a scheme and using them for their own profit. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's not actually empowering. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. Um, but another thing that is really big uh, it, in the the way that they talk about women uh, in the company is their image, right? Mm-hmm. So we already touched on the fact that they had this weight loss surgery almost program. Like, honestly, the way that they talked about it, I would not be surprised if the f- president of LuLaRoe, Deanne, gets some sort of financial kickback she or commission to. for referencing women to this weight loss Referring, surgery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, has to. Yes. It seems like she does because in the docuseries, she goes to Tijuana, Mexico, and she gets this surgery. She loses, like, 72 pounds and then says that she has – already brought at that time this was like only a couple months after her surgery has already brought 18 women down there to get this surgery as well mm-hmm. and then they talk about how like any woman who is like in the inner circle at LuLaRoe as a retailer gets asked to to come do the surgery and uh any uh they have like a, a text message group where they're saying they're taking women down there every week Weekly, they are taking women down to Mexico to get this surgery. And on top of that, there's a ton of pressure in general to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, what, 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 what did that strike in you guys when <laughs> you saw that? I mean, to me, it strikes, con- like, control, yeah. essentially. It's like, uh, you must conform to what we understand a successful and powerful woman to be and what she ought to look like, and you must conform or get in trouble, Mm -hmm. essentially. So it wasn't really promoting, like, individual expression. And even, like, financially, the one that really disturbed me is the woman who talks about, like, living paycheck to paycheck because she was expensing so much money toward her appearance and, like, expensive name brand Louis Vuitton bags and new cars and $10,000 on a dinner. Yeah. (laughs) And like, to me, that doesn't feel like letting someone have financial independence over their own business. That feels like manipulating and controlling someone into spending the money the way you want them to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also requiring them to continue to be dependent on your company. Mm -hmm. And so like that, that was very disturbing to me. And, like, as a as a more frugal person who lives conservatively, my husband and I are both, like, way under our means. Um, and we save a lot and we're preparing for the future a lot. Like, living in an environment like that where you feel pressured to not wear or buy or have anything other than, like, top ridiculously expensive name brand clothes and new Mercedes Benz and 20... 500 square foot houses or whatever or even bigger <laughs> that's probably not even that big um uh, like oh uh, that that doesn't feel like independence and autonomy and yeah. empowerment mm-hmm. yeah I agree with you I think that because the the kind of question right that the doc is trying to answer or alluding to answering is is this a cult 
And that to me is when that that question really starts to come to light fully, right? Is when it's like, you need to look a certain way. Your success will be determined by how you look and appeal or appeal, appear. Um, And then also uh, back to that humanness side of if you bring in negative energy or if you are not the brand, you're probably not the right representative for us. And this probably isn't for you. Mm -hmm. And even at one point it was like, you can fall in line or you can head out. And to me, when when there is that level of exclusivity um, and pressure to like not show up as you, show up in the version of you we want that we think will lead to success and your success will be determined by whether you show up that way or not, that's when it's like, yeah, we need to start talking about that cult question because that is very cult-like behavior. Um, and yeah, I think I really have a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to like, well, you will be successful if. Mm-hmm. It's like, actually, I don't know that it is up to you mm-hmm. to determine that, especially if we have a wholesale relationship. Yeah. And I mean, the founders of LuLaRoe sort of hide this idea of, of looking a certain way under the the guise of you want to present success so that you get more recruits and then you will make more money because you're getting these bonus checks that come with every recruit that you bring on. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying, hey, you, you do this uh, and you show them, you sell success to them. But that means that you need to spend all of the mm-hmm. money that you get from us. <laughs> and even though like people who work within like the corporate offices for LuLaRoe though also received pressure to look a certain way Mm -hmm. for example there's a designer that they uh, interview in the docuseries who said that she was brought in and told that uh, she was being promoted uh, but that she needed to be aware that she hadn't worn any LuLaRoe for three days (laughs) Uh, but they're still going to promote her anyways but like she needs to watch out for that essentially and that's she's like what <laughs> like I don't need to wear LuLaRoe every day but yep. that's their expectation and which also means you need to be buying from us and you need to be representing us and essentially a walking billboard to sell us to others and that's I mean a whole other level of of control and it's mm-hmm. it is manipulation and and one woman who is interviewed in the docuseries, uh, who was a former seller for them, uh, says that one day she's at a, a conference, I believe, and looks around and goes, oh, my gosh, we all look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I'm in a cult. <laughs> well, and to, like, continue along that cult thread, there's also the added element of once people were terminated or people chose to leave mm-hmm. LuLaRoe, they were, like, internal employees were instructed not to have any contact with them or that they themselves would be terminated. Yes. And so that is, I mean, that's telltale cult. Like, you're in or you're out kind of thing. And yeah. you can't have contact with anybody within the organization if you're not within the organization. And you can't have anybody, you can't be in contact with people outside the organization or who have left. Like, like uh, isolating people essentially from each other and... Um, yeah, I don't know. That was really disturbing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cult. <laughs> Kelly's straight up like it's a cult. I think that's it, it. Yeah, I think it straight up is. <laughs> like, I don't know. You guys can watch it and make your own call, but like to me, it's pretty much sounds like a cult. Mm-hmm. I I personally have a hard time 
calling things cults that are not, like, inherently, I guess, violent or that are not, like, doing things that are so extreme and harmful that could be, like, prosecuted by law, you know? Um, I think, I, I don't know, I've noticed a trend where I feel like people are sort of, like, um, boy who cried cults ing to an extent, <laughs> you know? Cult, that's um, the cult. Yeah, because I feel cult. like I, I, sometimes I do feel like people are like, everything's a cult. But then I'm also like, there are a lot of things that are kind of cultish. Yeah. So it, I, I go back and forth and I'm like, well, what is really the definition of a cult? What does that really mean? Uh, and I think that uh, w- one thing that makes me hesitant to say like, this is a cult uh, is that they don't, have as much, I guess, like, organization around cult-like, like, like a, essentially like a, a Bible, you know? Like, mm. they don't seem to have, like, a, uh, a code. Although they do have a lot of things that they use uh, that are, like, sort of their slogans or their, like, rules, like their three A's, and then they had, like, other things that were... Um, almost like little metrics that they use to like teach people things yeah. and to like impart their business yeah, wisdom they in I some guess. ways have like a code of ethics or a code of like yeah. conduct or whatever yeah. in their business um which yeah it's not necessarily like a bible or or religious um document of some yeah. kind but i mean he does like the ceo does like in a way, during motivational speeches, quote the Book of Mormon. Yeah, who like does quote. He the does Book of quote it, and so it does kind of like cross that line between motivational and spiritual. Well, and, and he does compare himself to Joseph Smith. He does, You're right? As if so, like they're kind of at the beginning of this sort of movement. They call it a movement. Mm-hmm, they do call yeah. it a movement. <laughs> this is true. But I mean, I understand where that you're coming from. That does get from. sketchy. I understand it's, where you're coming from in terms of like everything's a cult these days. But like this waters. one, in my opinion, is actually a cult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's not a cult, but this is a cult. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a cult, but this one is actually a cult. That is, yeah. that is my official stance. I will never buy LuLaRoe products ever. Wow. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> Were you ever in? I've bought LuLaRoe before from Goodwill. Uh, uh, yeah. I've never liked any of the stuff that I bought. I always regretted it. Uh, mm. But I've done it. Mm. Yeah. And I never will again. I don't know. I just can't get behind the material itself it's terrible it's really it's, terrible it's stretchy and like kind of itchy it's but like soft at the same time you're gonna sweat in it yeah it's just it's like, like summer clothing but like but like not yeah like the maxi skirt thing i don't know if anyone's actually worn a max, maxi skirt but unless it's made of cotton those things are just like swamp ass skirts Ooh. that's what it should be called oh, so i like a maxi skirt all, like, these i do like a good maxi but, like, skirt i'm talking about the maxi skirts that were popular in like 20 20- Oh, yeah, 12. I never wore those. Yeah. Oh, those yeah. are with, like, the fold-over the waistband. Fold over, oh, that was my shit. And oh. then you pulled your tank top down as far as it would go. Yeah. And then you put your belt over the top yes. of it, and you were cute as that shit. That was the shit, yes. I never did that. Those were made I, of the I worst material in the world. And if you actually – and they're of summer garment, but if you actually wear them in summer, Ooh. you're just, like, sweat so dripping. Hot. Terrible. Yeah, Ugh. I believe it. <laughs> so then if – if LuLaRoe is a cult, are all MLMs cults? I mean, I think, I think it they depends. have the potential. Anything has potential to be a cult, right? Sure. Like yeah. any any belief system, political parties 
come to the woman being a fam- cult. A fa- there's family cults. Families. You know, like there's no criteria to me whether a cult has to be a religious mm-hmm. institution, a business, or a family, or, yeah. you know, whatever. I feel like there's lots of different. I mean, so to give you guys a definition really quick from Oxford, uh, a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. Or a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Or a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. Hmm. So, so I the, feel like the thing Lu- in this case being Lulero would or fall the more into mm-hmm. that third yeah. definition. Yeah. I um. watched um, a doc about a different cult because, um, fun fact about me, I love cults. I could talk about cults and um, conspiracy theories all day. I think it's fascinating. I think the way the human brain works is fascinating. Um, but one of the telltale signs of a cult is one that ability to leave of your own free will and not being ostracized from the rest of the community and to um, – not being forced into a mold or expected to have specific behaviors or lack of specific behaviors in order to, quote-unquote, fit in to the message. So I think um, MLMs, I think, inherently know are not cults, but they definitely all have potential to be 100%. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, I I wouldn't look at Young Living and say it's a cult. Um, I would say it's maybe like a more excited craze than I would – get on board with <laughs> it's a trend <laughs> yeah like i think people are a little bit woo-woo about beauty counter in a way that i never will be or yeah. whatever but like i guess unless i was actually within the culture i could never say you know like i've yeah. never experienced anyone you know getting crazy deep involved in an mlm to the point that i thought oh no this is a cult yeah i definitely can see how mlms like you said kellyanne might be more inclined to produce cult-like behavior, mm. especially once you get higher up within the ranks of it being like, well, you you sort of need to conform to a certain way and you need to uh, assimilate, uh, which, I mean, that happens just in any group that you are in in general, right? Like you, I worked at a production company and I saw the way that everybody dressed around me. I saw the way that my boss is dressed and I thought I need to dress like that in order to be successful here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, you know, slightly change the way that I dress so that then I can conform, be accepted and move up within the ranks. And I think that that happens in any group that you're in. Like, that happens when you go to a church and you're like, oh, everyone looks this way at this church. I need to sort of conform and assimilate in order to be accepted. Mm-hmm. I think that's natural human behavior. Um, but when it comes to something as blatant as LuLaRoe saying, like, you must do this or you will not get a promotion <laughs> or you will be, like, totally um, – like not accepted because you the one of the women talks about how she's getting pressured over and over to do the gastric bypass surgery mm-hmm. uh, and how she finally tells Deanne, hey, I'm not going to do this. And then she gets total cold shoulder from her from then on. She is no longer part of that inner circle mm-hmm. because she has chosen to not get weight loss surgery, which has nothing to do with selling leggings. But uh, so to me that I, I can see how, you know, knowing human behavior 
when you're part of a group like an MLM, uh, how like conformity and assimilation can be part of it, but that natural human behavior can be manipulated and preyed upon by people who have bad intentions or who are have fallen into some sort of manipulative pattern mm -hmm. or have control issues. Yeah. Or there's money and power at stake, <laughs> yes. right? Uh, and that's when you see cult start mm -hmm. to be part of it. This is not to say that anyone who, you know, is part of an MLM is instantly part of a cult. <laughs> and you're probably also still a good person. Yes. Like, and you believe in what you're doing, and I think that's great. Yeah, and can be a great way to make a few, some side money, possibly, if you are able to be successful in it. Yeah. But, again, like, I keep going back to that idea that uh, seventy percent of people who are part of LuLaRoe made no money, mm -hmm. uh, or probably even lost money. Uh, there's a diagram uh, that they show in the docu series uh, that shows uh, the amount of money that women were making off of their bonus checks for recruiting people versus the amount of profit mm -hmm. people were making from selling leggings, and mm -hmm. the profit margin was in the negative, yeah, <laughs> while weird. the bonus checks were like probably 10 or 15 times right. the amount that the negative was. Mm -hmm. Which, in order to be in the red, that means you're selling less than half of the inventory you have every month. Mm. Which is like, so if you buy 50 items, you're selling less than 25. Like, so items. all of those clothes are just going to waste. They're just, just hanging out in, like, your in your closet, yeah. in your garage, wherever, and just not being sold. But yeah. you're continuing to buy inventory, so you had to make monthly purchase of inventory every month. Otherwise, your your account would be suspended, which is another issue as far as, like, businesses go. If we're in a wholesale relationship, that relationship is not terminated based on how much inventory I do or don't buy. I buy inventory when I need it. We're good. You are able to deliver the goods. When I don't need it, I don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think, too, about the amount of waste that is coming from an industry like this where they are requiring their designers to create 100 designs every day. Um, they are putting out new legging patterns all the time, new maxi skirt patterns and dress patterns and all these things. And they're creating so much and saturating the market so much. Like, this is why LuLaRoe is in every Goodwill. <laughs> Is because it's it people couldn't even buy it fast enough to like wear it <laughs> yeah. before it's just getting donated or winding up just in a landfill. Right. And so this is just like hugely resource intensive mm -hmm. uh like system that they've set up. Yeah, it is it's fast fashion, mm -hmm. but yeah. like on a mass scale. Well, more mass. It's fast fashion is mass. Well, inherently. I guess fast fashion is all mass. But like, yeah, it's just totally wasteful and mm -hmm. with poor quality materials, poor quality prints. It's just like really bad. Yeah, Battle and the idea around. there's this like part of what made them successful was this idea of like you don't know what you're gonna get, and it's like limited uh, quantities of, of different patterns that they're making. And so this like exclusivity and like this like, sort of mystery mm -hmm. is part of the appeal of it. Uh, but that's actually something that I think has become a very wasteful like trend mm -hmm. in, uh, our Western society. 
their sort of exclusivity or like the the mystery of it is creating a demand that wasn't actually there. Mm -hmm. And I think that people have now realized or have started to realize like, oh, I actually don't need this. And so then it winds up in all the goodwills. Totally. Because people are like, oh. And I even think about just with trends in general, with fashion, uh, people will get swept up in a trend that's actually hideous or unflattering or whatever. uh, And then realize, oh, I hate this. Mm. (laughs) This is not something I actually like. I just liked it because I saw it on so many people. Mm. And then things that are like weird trends wind up in the Goodwills and, mm-hmm. or in the landfills. Well, and I think that applies to other MLMs as well. You know, like just like, oh, you must try these new products that we just got on the line. And people are like, oh, yeah. well, all my friends are buying it, so I guess I have to whatever. And then it turns into like, I don't actually want this. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I, I see this particularly. Um, the first example I think of actually is with essential oils. There's this idea that I see among like influencers of like having in the background of your YouTube video your like wall of essential oils and you have hundreds of bottles of essential oils that are on special shelves that are like beautiful and aesthetic and like this is part of being a natural like millennial gal <laughs> and, and so it's this idea of like like do you really need that many essential oils do you mm. really need every single like, oil that they offer, (laughs) like, how can you even use that many essential oils quick enough for them to still be good, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, essential oils also in general are a very resource-intensive item that has a lot of issues. But um, the the thing is, is, like, this idea that, like, you need to aspire to a certain look or ideal, and then you wind up over-purchasing, and that's something that I could see happening with LuLaRoe as well, is that you're looking at these leggings all over your Facebook. They were all over my Facebook for a while. Uh, and you're looking at these ugly patterns, but you're seeing so many women wear them that they start to look less and less ugly. And then you're like, well, maybe I need this. Mm. And then maybe I need 20 pairs. <laughs> I, I need to become a retailer for them. You know, like there's there's a whole sort of spiral with that. And I think that... Um, people sort of being influenced to purchase these things uh, just turns into waste because you're being influenced. You aren't actually wanting this. Yeah, I also think of like, you know, mentioning waste, them talking about this is what they claim, right? They claim that they only make 3,000 units of each pattern, which like or skew, if you will, which is – not sustainable at all as a brand or a business. Like, to get a good price break, you really want to order 10,000 units or more per item. Um, And then, you know, it gets better the more you order. It gets, like, you know, better margins or whatever. So I'm like, you're telling me you only manufacture 3,000 units per style? That's crazy. Like, that is – that's the the kind of thing that makes me think, like – Oh, yeah, this is homegrown. They do not know what they're doing. And then also the demand on their designers to design 100 patterns a day. Like, that is not realistic. Who's approving those designs? Who's being the colorist? Are they expected to design and be the colorist at the same time? Like, how does that work? Um, 
So they're, they're literally just pumping out leggings essentially faster than they can sell, right? Because, you know, on average, most employees are in the red, which means they're selling less than 50% of their stock every month. Yeah. Which is then just like piling up over time. So crazy shit. Well, yeah. And then we see later in the documentary that the um, quality of the leggings deteriorates rapidly mm-hmm. to the point that like like fabric is tearing like tissue paper and there's holes in it mm-hmm. and the seams are uneven and like the cuts are horrible and so so it seemed and like mold and there yeah mold water damage all sorts of issues with the products themselves and so it seems like they overproduced mm-hmm. had a bunch of stuff sitting in a warehouse and outside they're like literally outside for days, months, who knows. Mm -hmm. And then they're delivering faulty product to these retailers who essentially are struggling to even get it returned. And so, yeah, the the whole... Well, not just struggling to get it returned. Can't. Being told blatantly, well, just mark it down and take the price cut. Just take the loss and profit that Mm -hmm. you're going to receive for this faulty product that we sent to you. That you actually had no control over. Right. Very problematic. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. This is where I just, I have a very hard time being empathetic for the founders of LuLaRoe is that not only are they um, creating an MLM, which is a questionable business model in the first place, not only are they producing things at a very high and like, not sustainable rate not only are they touting messages of female empowerment that are actually like um lies and not only are they manipulating women uh they're also giving product to their retailers the people that are making them so much money and they don't even care when they receive complaints they don't they aren't empathetic they aren't giving uh, refunds, they aren't uh, giving them any sort of support when, like, wouldn't part of the appeal of being part of this MLM is that you receive support from a larger mm-hmm. entity, mm-hmm. right? Like, you are, you sure, you are independent in your business, but in some ways you are not wholly on your own in mm-hmm. doing this because you have the backing of this larger company. And the fact that in this docuseries, like, the founders hardly are willing to even address the the issue of like faulty product and they claim that this was a small issue that like people just got too upset about mm-hmm. right they call it like a social media thing they're yeah. like social media is making this a way bigger deal than it is and it's not just that they don't care it's that they're like placing the blame back on the retailers and the people who like you said are making them mm-hmm. millions and billions yes. of dollars and basically Saying, well, you need to stop being negative. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to stop being a That's a toxic victim. attitude in this yeah. situation. We don't allow negative talk in right. the row. And they took down people's comments on social media. Yeah. They took down people complaining or, like, showing faulty product. Mm-hmm. And, like, this that it's just wholly unethical totally. to me. Yeah. I mean, in business world, like, 5% faulty product can look like a big you know, so it might not have been like super mass scale. I really don't know, but like, it is your job as the retailer, or in this case, the wholesaler, to address the issue with the product. If you are not addressing 
a problem with your product, then it's a huge, huge issue. And as an LLC, you are required to be able to accept returns by law, which is part of one of the reasons they had such a major lawsuit given to them. It is because they were uh, either rejecting returns or not even accepting them at all, which is like wild to me. Yeah. So all that to say, what are you guys's like final thoughts or takeaways about LuLaRoe? <laughs> How are we feeling? I think it's fascinating. I think it's tragic. I mean, these women that are like, I'm going to change my family's life, my our financial trajectory. Like, I think that I love that entrepreneurial spirit. I love that determination. I love that women's empowerment. It just got put in the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like part of me is like, oh, I oddly feel empathy for this larger than life woman that clearly has a lot of shut down emotions and sadness, but also like, damn, she's accountable for a lot of pain. Um, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of like families ruined, frankly, livelihoods, a lot of livelihoods ruined. Um, and that's a problem and there needs to be reconciliation for that. But, um, it's also just, uh, humans, you know, we're kind of, we've got some good, we've got some bad where there's a lot of gray in the middle. And, um, I think, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing to to learn and know about and especially kind of pulling back the veil not just on this quote unquote trend or company but potentially other MLMs. It kind of gives you some insight in the structure and um potentially even a little bit of the psychology too, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think takeaways one thing I noticed actually with the within the MLM structure is that the biggest problem is uh, the growth in recruits mm-hmm. um, is that once you reach a certain point, you've saturated the market, and so people at the bottom cease to be profitable. I wonder if it would be possible to run a successful MLM company w- by setting limits on the number of um, retailers that can join your business per year. Mm-hmm. So you essentially like, like a cap. Right. You grow with the market and you potentially maybe have a waiting list of people that can onboard Mm -hmm. and you allow it to grow based on market needs as opposed to Mm -hmm. um, just exponentially bringing in funds through people paying to Mm -hmm. join your company. Um, Because, I mean, that and sadly, that is the way that they make the money. But like if you truly have a product that truly can sell and make money. Like, mm-hmm. I can see why the MLM structure seems positive. I mean, essentially, you are you have, like, let's say 5,000 investors that mm-hmm. essentially cr- make up this company. And everybody in this company is a part owner and, you know, has their own autonomy and can sell and whatever. And then when they move on, it opens up a spot for somebody else to come in, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I guess... So I guess that's a thought. Just one final takeaway. Maybe an MLM could work mm-hmm. if you did it right. Well, from the MLM hater herself. And mm-hmm. if you did it successfully, you know, I don't know, or did it ethically. Yeah. But on the other hand, I hate MLMs. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I think the I think the appeal of the money that you receive through new recruits is too great for you to not inevitably do it that way. Mm-hmm. As like an owner of an MLM. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's interesting because, like, if you're doing a startup, like, you're going to 
really what you would get from an MLM of like recruits is they're serving the role of an investor, really. Mm -hmm. And so if you're starting a business, you'd be better off either one, getting investors or two, just like doing like, a, you know, a easy Shopify account and mm -hmm. running Instagram ads. Mm -hmm. You're going to have better margins. You don't have to split your profits with people. It all goes to you. And so I'm just like – You just can't grow as fast. You can't, and that's that's very true. But I think looking at it like business perspective-wise, I'm like I think you would be better off just like doing it homegrown, doing it from a website. If even like Amazon, you can Amazon your product. You literally – you make less margin, but – They'll house it and ship it for you. I mean, I think maybe like it's it's easier to be successful that way if you're if you don't or if you do care about the ethics of running a business. Right. However, I do think an MLM, aka a pyramid scheme, is the most effective way to make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. I want to clarify not, though that MLM and pyramid scheme are not interchangeable terms. They're not, but they're very similar. <laughs> They are very similar, and I would argue that there is a lot of overlap and ones that many that are pyramid schemes parading as MLMs. Totally. But, you know, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> you know, you guys can watch the doc series and decide, make your own Well, speaking of, would you guys recommend this docuseries? Yeah, it's interesting. Definitely, yeah. Especially yeah. if you have feelings about MLMs, good or bad. <laughs> if you're in one, if you are tired of people reaching you out, out to you on Facebook about them, if you, I don't know, have any feelings at all or are curious or like LuLaRoe or hate LuLaRoe, like, I'd love to know. Yeah. But this, like, yeah, it's it's fascinating to, like, uh, look into the human psychology of um, something like that and mm -hmm. look at the people who actually made it happen. And Yeah. And, I mean, the, the founders themselves are just fascinating people. Yeah, they are. So it's very interesting to just hear from them. Mm -hmm. I feel like a reality show about them would and their family, oh, yes. their, like, 14 kids, would oh be my gosh. a hit. <laughs> Way more interesting than the Duggars. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so woman being improved on my end. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I would recommend watching it, too. I think it's fascinating. And uh, it's something I think some people are wholly, like, not – in the know about MLMs at all. And then some people have had like more experience with MLMs than they would like to <laughs> have even had. So I, I think across the spectrum, it gives a lot of good looks at what an MLM even is. And then also like what can, what is the power that can be abused? And um, I think could be helpful to people in, in maybe being a bit more wary mm -hmm. when it comes to dealing with an MLM. Um, and recognizing sort of all that goes on. Uh, and just, I mean, I think that, like, consumer awareness in general is something that we need more of. So I think it's great in spreading that a bit more. Mm. But all that to say, that's Lula Rich, people. <laughs> <laughs> you can be Lula Rich, and you, then you'll become Lula Famous, and you'll, your husband will be a Lula Bro. And you'll be a Lula family. But the odds are actually that you'll just be a Lula poor. Yeah. Exactly. Lots of Lula poor. Lula and bankrupt. Lula debt. <laughs> <laughs> and Lula 
losing all your friends and family. Losing. Losing. Yes. That's a SpongeBob reference. Um. Anyways, so uh, that is the end of our discussion on Lula Rich. Uh, what did you guys think of Lula Rich, lovely woman beings? We would love to hear your perspective on it. Are you part of an MLM? Have you ever been part of an MLM? Uh, have you been subject to a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme? Uh, we want to know. And uh, we want to hear about that from you on our social media. We are on Instagram at Woman Being Podcast. We have our website, womanbeingcommunity.com, where you can access all of our content, uh, which is also available across podcast platforms and on YouTube. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. And YouTube. everything else in between. I already said YouTube. Oh, sorry. We are on YouTube all twice. <laughs> also and the same as what and we said YouTube before. YouTube and also YouTube. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's all we have for you today. We will talk to you lovely people next Tuesday. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.